0: Well, this week uh, we are concluding this series that we've been in uh, looking at the story of the prodigal son. Over the past five weeks, uh, we've heard this story read over and over and over again. As, as we just mentioned with the children, we've looked at this story from what seems like every um, angle imaginable. Uh, we've looked at it from the perspective of the younger son who, who ran away from the father in wild and reckless living. And we looked at it from the perspective of the, the elder son who stayed close to his father physically, but in his heart was still far away from his father. And we looked at it the story from the perspective of, of the father who, who longed to welcome his wayward children home again. And we also looked at the story uh, from the perspective of, of Jesus, the, the true elder brother, who makes the return of wayward children to come home again, even possible. Uh, And and in each of those perspectives, uh, we've we've seen rich um, examples, and, and they've demonstrated important truths about us and about God and about the need that all of us have to run home to our Father in heaven again. And it's all been really, really good. But if we were to end the series here... I think it would feel a little bit incomplete because if we ended the series here, I think we'd always be left with a little bit of a sense of of then what or of what next. Right. The way child had had come home, what was lost has now been found. The party ensues. But but then what? Where do we go from there? Because the party is great. But parties don't last forever. So where do we go after the party? And so it feels like there's an important next step that we need to take by asking the question, what do we do in light of this parable? Right? How do we respond to the story of the prodigal son? Now, one obvious response to this, to this story is that uh, if you are far from your father in heaven then it is time to run home to him. That's the the obvious uh, response to this story. If If you do not know your father in heaven, it is time to run home to him. Jesus has made the way possible for you to come home. God, your father in heaven, beckons you to come into his feast. He longs for you to come back and know your place as his son or his daughter. And so if you have not done that yet. Turn around and run home to your father in heaven. He wants you to come home. But the fact of the matter is. That most of us in this church. Have already made that return trip home. Most of us have experienced the father's embrace. We've received our restoration. Back into the family of God. We've celebrated that our lives. Which once were lost. Have now been found. We actually just reaffirmed all of this uh, during our baptism that we celebrated earlier when we remembered our own baptismal covenants, declaring once again that we are children of God. And so my question for us this morning is, where do we go from here? After our adoption, after the party, where does the story go from here? How do we ultimately respond to this parable of the prodigal son? I think there is a group of people in this story who shows us where to go next. And those are the father's servants in the story. So if you have Bibles, I want to invite you one last time in this series to turn with me to Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 11. And let's consider together how the father's servants show us our way forward. Now, before we jump into the perspective of the servants, I want to to acknowledge an important distinction that we need to consider. Because at several points in this series already, we've emphasized, we've gone out of our way to emphasize that servants aren't what we're supposed to be, right? We saw that in the story of the younger brother. When he decided to come home uh, uh, and he, he wanted to be like one of his father's hired servants, He wanted to earn or to work his way back into his father's good graces. But the father would have absolutely none of it. Before his son even got to the part of the speech where he was going to ask to become like one of his father's servants, the father cut him off. And and he embraced his child and he called for the family garments to to be put onto his newfound son. The father didn't want another hired servant. He wanted his son to come home. To know that he was loved and accepted. And to be reconciled once again into the family of God. The father didn't want a servant. He wanted a son. We saw a similar dynamic with the elder brother in the story. Who makes clear through his language that even though he had remained physically close to the father, he didn't really know and understand his place as a son in the family. He was working for his father. He was obeying all of his father's commands. And and he thought that by doing those things, he deserved something from his father. He's showing that that he didn't really know himself as a son, but as a servant. He wasn't a son with an inheritance, he was a worker looking for a wage. And like with the younger son, so with the elder son. The father had to correct this line of thinking. And he goes out and he reminds his elder son, all that I have is yours. It's language of inheritance and and, and ownership, not of employment and servitude. He doesn't want his elder child to to be a servant. He wants him to be a son. So throughout this story, this is a repeated problem. The brothers act like servants, but the father wants his sons. So, why then, now, here at the end of this series, would we look to move forward and find application in this parable uh, in the example of the servants? Well, that seems like a step backwards, not a step forwards, right? a step away from the Father, not a step towards the Father, right? So, why are we looking at the servants? Well, the answer to that question lies in the, the order or, or the priority. Of our identity. Let me explain what I mean by that. See, if you primarily see yourself as a servant and not as a son or a daughter. Which is what the brothers in this story were doing. If you see yourself primarily as a servant and not as a son or a daughter. Then everything that you do in service to the Father ends up being a duty rather than a delight. Your work for the Father becomes a burden and not a blessing. You end up doing all that you do in in hopes of a payment, not for His pleasure. See, servants serve in order to be loved and accepted. On the other hand, if you know that your primary identity is as a child, and that you serve because you are a child, not in order to try and become a child... If you serve because you are loved rather than in order to be loved, well, then everything is different. For when you see the beauty of what God has done for you in making you a child, when you are aware of the cost that Christ has paid in order to bring you back into the family, when you know the love that is poured over you as an adopted son or daughter, everything changes. As a beloved child, your service isn't a duty, but it is a delight. As a beloved child, our work on behalf of the one who loved us so much isn't a chore, but it is a choice that we freely make. As a child, you're not working for a wage, but you're working because of an inheritance. Does that make sense? Do you see how if your identity is out of whack, then your motivation will be too? Friends, we've got to grasp this concept. Because a right understanding of our identity and the associated motivations that accompany it makes all of the difference in the world in our lives in Christ. John Newton, who is famous for having written the song Amazing Grace, uh, wrote another hymn where he explains this dynamic person. He wrote that our pleasure and our duty, though opposite before, since we have seen his beauty are joined to part no more. And a friend of Newton's, uh, William Cowper, engages this same idea in another hymn where he wrote, that to see the law by Christ fulfilled and hear His pardoning voice changes a slave into a child and duty into choice. Both of these hymns are getting at this same idea. That once we've experienced the grace and the goodness of God, once we know the forgiveness of God and receive him as our father, once we become sons and daughters, then everything changes. And we now want to serve him rather than having to serve him. Our our duty becomes our pleasure. This is what we just prayed for Vincent in his baptism. And what we all reminded of ourselves when we affirmed our own baptismal vows. The first prayers for Vincent were that his heart would be open to God's grace and truth. That he would be filled with the life-giving Spirit of God. And that he would keep the faith and communion of the church. That is sonship. That is sonship. We first and foremost want him to be a son of God. But the next prayers that we prayed were that he would love others in the power of the Spirit. And that he would be a witness of God's love in the world. That is servanthood. They're both an integral part of the equation. But the order, the priority, makes a huge difference. Service before sonship makes you a slave. That was the elder brother's problem in the parable. Sonship without service makes you a wayward child. That was the younger brother's problem in the parable. They were both off. But a right understanding of our sonship should always lead us into a joyful service of the one who loves us. And that is why looking at the servants in this story isn't a step backwards, but it's actually a step forwards. It is the next step that we take after returning home and and becoming a child again. And so this morning we're going to consider how do we respond to the truths of this parable? Uh, Through the eyes of the servants in the story. Now, we're not given much detail about the father's servants in this account, but there are uh, a couple of observations that we can make that are really significant. And so I want us to very briefly consider uh, what do the servants do in this story and what does it mean for us? Okay? First, uh, what do the servants in this story do? Well, we encounter the servants on two separate occasions in this parable, once with the younger brother and once with the elder brother. And in each instance, they show us something different on the first encounter in verse twenty two. When at the father's command, our first encounter is there. When at the father's command, the servants bring uh, the robe and the ring and the shoes and the fatted calf uh, in order to celebrate the younger son's return. And so, a couple of observations uh, about this encounter. The first is that the servants do whatever the father asks them to do. Now, it's simple, but it's really significant. The servants don't question if the father's instructions are a good idea or not, they don't decide for themselves which of the father's instructions to carry out, only doing the jobs that they like or that they think are appropriate. They don't debate what the father actually meant when he told them to go bring the robe and the other items. They don't do any of that. Instead, they simply and they faithfully do everything that the father tells them to do. They are obedient to all of the father's commands. And this idea of obedience to anyone or to anything isn't a very popular idea these days. We've come to so idolize our autonomy and our independence that the idea of subjecting ourselves to anyone's instruction, even if it's God's, is almost looked down upon, it Seems as off-putting. And so we often feel the freedom to pick and to choose which of God's laws we like and which ones we don't, which ones we want to follow and which ones we'd rather ignore. We rationalize that obedience to commandments is an Old Testament thing. And since Jesus has fulfilled the law, we no longer have to. Even though it was Jesus himself who on the night before his death said to his disciples, You are my friends if you do what I command. For servants of the Father, obedience to his commands is not an option or a suggestion. It's an expectation. Are you joyfully seeking to follow all that the Father instructs you to do in your life? Doesn't mean that you'll do it perfectly, but are you trying to? Do you want to? Is your heart oriented to want to do everything that the Father asks of you, instructs you to do? When we know our Father's love as His children and enter into His service as sons and daughters, our heart delights. To follow all of the Father's commands. A second observation about the servants in this encounter is that the work that they do is to bring the signs and seals of sonship to remorseful, broken children of God. Our job as the Father's servants is to assist in welcoming back lost souls to where they belong. Again, it's just like we said in our baptismal uh, liturgy at the very end of it, that we receive them into the household of God. We received Vincent into the household of God. That's what the servants are doing here in this story with the younger brother. At the Father's command, they are doing the work that helps to welcome lost children home. Now, we don't make the way for lost children to come home. That's Jesus. Uh, we're not the ones who make the decision to accept wayward children back. That's God the Father's role. But we are called to work in service of the Father and the Son to call wayward children home. To remind them of their forgiveness and acceptance when they repent and when they return. To come alongside of them and accompany them on their way back into the Father's house. To help them to know and understand that they are loved and that they are forgiven and that they belong. As servants of the Father, we do everything that we can to welcome His wayward children back when they come home. This is what the servants do in this first encounter with a wayward child who has returned. The second encounter we have with the father's servants occurs with the elder brother in verse 26 of this parable. And if the first encounter dealt with the child who was returning home to the father, this encounter was with the child who was walking away from the father. For when the elder brother came in from the fields, he was confused by the the party that he heard going on. And calling one of the father's servants to himself, he, he asked, what was going on? And in response to the question, the father's servant explained to him that his brother had come home and his father had killed the fatted calf. Because he had received him back safe and sound. As in the first example, so in this one. What we see from this servant is simple, but it's incredibly significant. All that the servant does in this encounter is speak the truth about what the Father is doing. The elder brother was confused about a situation, and the servant explained it to him in light of how the Father was at work. He spoke plainly and openly and honestly about what the Father was doing. And what's significant about this encounter is that the elder brother gets angry at the servant's words. He does not like what he hears, but the servant tells it to him anyway. Even when it's unpopular, even when it makes people upset, even when it's not well received. All the servant can do is be honest and explain how the father is at work. The same is true for us. Our job is to explain to the world about the work that God has done and is doing. They won't always like what we have to say. It may make some people angry. Some people may reject us because of it. But as servants of the Father, all that we can do is speak truth about what the Father is doing. We can't change the story. We shouldn't soften the message to make people feel better. But we shouldn't hide the truth because we are afraid that it will upset someone. We simply have to tell the truth about the work of the Father in this world. That's what the servants do. In both of these encounters, we see simple but significant steps that the servants take in service of the Father. They followed the Father's instructions. And they cared for the children. Both who wanted to be a part of the family and those who didn't. Ministering to their needs and speaking the truth to them in love. This is what servants of the Father do. Do. In fact, this is what all of us were called to do. We heard that in our New Testament reading this morning out of 2 Timothy, where Paul told Timothy that Jesus saved us and he called us to a holy calling because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Paul is saying that God's plan and purpose from the very beginning was to save us, that is, to make us his sons and daughters. In order to give us a holy calling, that is to to call us into his service. This has always been God's purpose. This is what we were created for. We see that all the way back in the very beginning in the story of Adam and Eve, whom God created and then placed in the garden and gave them responsibility. He made them his children, and then he called them into his service, tending to and caring for his creation, naming and having dominion over the animals of the earth. We see it also in the story of Abraham, the father of faith. God blessed him in order that he would be a blessing. God made him his own and then called him into his service. This has always been God's plan and pattern. That knowing our true selves as his sons and daughters, we would then serve him with our lives. When we figure this out, when we get this priority right, it changes absolutely everything. So the younger brother and the elder brother in this parable never figured it out. One was a child with no responsibility. He ran away and wrecked his life. The other was a servant of the father and he didn't know his place as a son. And he resented his father and ran away. If we get this dynamic wrong, it will ruin us. But when we get this dynamic right, when we first know our place as children of God and then enter into his service, it changes absolutely everything. And the reason that it changes everything is because when we live our lives in service to the Father, it gives meaning and significance to our lives because we are doing what we were created to do. We are doing the good works which God has prepared in advance for us to do. It gives us a purpose and a role and a function to fill within the family of God. Serving one another, ministering to one another, encouraging one another. We're building one another up, reminding one another of our belovedness and of our acceptance and of our place at this table. It gives us purpose in regards to our work in the world, and proclaiming the work of God, making his ways known, extending invitation for wayward children to come home. This service, it will look different for each and every one of us, but it is a calling for each and every one of us. Knowing our identity as children, this becomes the work of our lives. Church, today is a day of great celebration. We're in a beautiful new worship space. We've just celebrated the sacrament of baptism and welcomed a new member into our church body. Today is a day of great celebration. But parties don't last forever. In these celebrations, we were reminded of our identities. We were reminded that we are, first and foremost, children of God. Sons and daughters of His. Members of this covenant community with one another. And it is from our rootedness in those identities that we go from here to live the rest of our lives in service to God, our Father. And so church, having come home to our Father, let us now... In the words of our deacon Teresa, go forth from here in order to love and to serve the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen.